Ladies and gentlemen, here's In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin, and I'm so honored to be speaking with Tony Ronaldo, who is the principal advisor of natural resources at World Vision. But、um, he's also known as the forest maker or the crazy white. Farmer. <laughs> so anyway, let's meet Tony. Hi, Tony. Hi, Shelley. Pleasure to be here. Yes, I'm so glad that you can make it to the studio and do this interview, even though you're actually flying off to go home to Australia、um, later tonight. But、um, so let me just try to、um, introduce, you know, Tony. Um, in a little bit before he actually tells his own story,、um, basically he moved to Niger in 1981.、Uh, it's like one of the world's poorest countries, and、um, but he really was there wanting to make a difference.、Um, I think he read a couple books and that inspired him and everything. But、um, after two years of intense tree planting, it just it was just devastating. Nothing was working until he discovered something、uh, while being in this, you know, like. Almost like no kind of soil to really grow anything healthy. So what happened, Tony? Why did you want to make a difference?、Uh, thank you, Shirley. I, I grew up in a very beautiful part of Australia, and、uh, as as boys, there were a group of boys in our street. We used to walk over the forested hills, climb the trees. We swam in the rivers and and fish there. And it disturbed me greatly that a lot of that bushland, a lot of the forest, was being bulldozed. And steep hills left fallow for years on end were eroding, loss of wildlife, and 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 so on. And I, I wondered, you know, was it worth for short-term gain to destroy the earth? So I was very upset about that. But also, I was quite aware of poverty in the world. The main crop in our district was tobacco, and I, I used to watch the news. I used to read world events, and it struck me that children just like me, who happened to be born elsewhere. We're going to bed hungry while we grew tobacco, <laughs> and, and so I, I was quite. Tony, how old were you then? Well, pre-teens. I don't really know how old, but I was quite aware of environment and and poverty even at a young age. And you're it, very it, sensitive. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It, it it upset me, but I I felt frustrated because I I didn't. Have、um, power of the adult world. I couldn't change their minds,、mm. but I, I did the one thing that I felt I could do, and I, I shot up a prayer. Please use me somehow, somewhere to make a difference. And I, I can trace what I do today right back to that child's prayer.、Mm. Well, I bet your parents instilled that caring heart in you. You know about people, about the environment, about poor people. So you just generally have a bigger loving heart than、uh, the rest of the world, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you guys moved to Niger with the family that was, and that was because of work. We were members of a missionary organization, right?、Uh, that we joined, and we were posted to Niger Republic. And and just to give it a bit of context, this is on the edge of the Sahara Desert. Oh, one of the poorest countries in the world. And suffering the impacts of both climate change and massive deforestation. So that that's the context. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now there's something about you stooping down to tie your shoes or something, and you came <laughs> upon a, a shrub, and then you discovered something about the shrub. So so I inherited a tree planting project that was basically failing. The, the people weren't interested. Um, because of the harsh climate, the goats—you you name it—everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Eighty to ninety percent of those tree seedlings died. 
And I, I was very, very frustrated. And I, I think when you're young, you're convinced, firstly, that you're invincible. <laughs> but uh-huh. secondly, you can solve the world's problems yesterday. Yeah. And it, it, despite all my efforts, my reading, my research, my, my efforts, not, nothing was working in a sustainable or economically viable way. And it was on, on one of these trips, I was actually delivering tree seedlings to the villagers, knowing full well <laughs> most of them would die. Oh, yeah. The people actually called me the crazy white farmer. Oh, oh back then. Oh, well, it yeah. wasn't now. Oh was- no! Back then, because it, it, you can you can appreciate it if you're hungry regularly, and this guy oh. comes and says you should be planting trees. Okay. In in their minds, they wouldn't get a benefit for several decades. Right. Now that, that's that- not true, but that's what they <laughs> believed. And okay. and from my perspective, um, functional agriculture in that climate isn't possible without some level of tree cover. Mm. But it wasn't working. Okay. And on this fateful day. I was delivering seedlings to the villagers, feeling very discouraged. I need to stop you. How old were you then? Oh, well, I, we, we'd arrived there. I would have been about 24 years old. Okay. Yeah, okay. so it was in, in, in the uh, second year of our time in Niger. We arrived in 1981. Right, yeah. okay. Um, and and at that point of thinking, it's, it's hopeless. Using these methods, it would never have a, a significant impact on this landscape. It wouldn't help the people. But I, I did, I remembered that prayer, that child's prayer, and I felt there must be a solution. And, and so I, I said a second prayer, <laughs> <laughs> just asking for guidance, show us what to do, open our eyes, help us. Mm-hmm. And the ridiculous thing is I'd been on this track almost every week for two and a half years right eyes open but totally blind to the solution which had been there all along right and at at this at this point I, i noticed what appeared as a bush in the distance and I took the trouble to walk over and take a closer look. Mm-hmm. Immediately, when I saw the leaf, and, and consider this, if you look at any plant in your garden, the shape of that leaf is a signature telling you what species the plant is. Okay. As soon as I saw the leaf, I knew it's not a bush or a weed. This is a tree that's been cut down. Okay. A- and because of my travels through the, the countryside, I knew there were millions of these bushes everywhere and and this was the solution that I was looking for. All, all we needed to do was to care for and nurture what was already there. See, we need to let our audience know that actually um, Tony is an agronomist. So that's why he would pay attention to things like that, which normal people wouldn't. Okay, like a leaf or something. Okay, <laughs> so that makes sense. The thing is that obviously the surrounding soil is like not the kind that farmers would use, right? And And you're thinking... I mean, you wouldn't pay attention to a shrub like that when it's like the, its surrounding is not arid kind of soil to oh, grow oh no. anything. Oh, no, Th- this area is on the edge of the Sahara. Right. It's very, very poor soil, but it is their agricultural land. It's it's sand, actually, very infertile. It's sand. I, I, I kept thinking when I see Tony, I was going to ask a question. Are you saying that you're going to be able to turn desert into arid land? Like real desert desert. Into arid land. This, uh, well, this, this is not actual Sahara Desert. It's the Sahel, and okay. it, it is farming area. But oh, it is. To all all intents and purposes, because it had been so degraded, mm-hmm. it wasn't producing enough to to support the people. And through this restoration work, we, we made it much much more productive. Actually, crop yields more than doubled in many cases, simply by virtue of working with nature. 
allowing some of the trees to come back instead of destroying it. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lynn. speaking with agronomist Tony Rinaldo, who is known for his farmer-managed natural regeneration technique for millions of trees that have regrown across the world. Okay. Can you, like, I don't know, in normal people's terms, explain exactly how it works? I mean, because we think that you've got to have water. No matter what, you need water to grow anything. But it seems like it's not quite that way, although water is, you know, an element there. So what exactly happened? Can you kind of try to explain what that actually means? Sure. It's actually very simple. So this area had been forested in the recent past. And as population grew, people cleared the trees, but they didn't remove the living tree stumps. Which, which are re-sprouting. Every year they re-sprout and then a good farmer will clean that growth. They'll cut that growth out, not realizing that it could become a tree again that could help them. So oh. all that we do, firstly, we select the stumps that we want to regrow into trees. Okay. When you cut a tree down, it will send up many shoots, maybe as many as 50. So there's oh. too much competition there for the same light and, and moisture and nutrients. So the, the next step is to reduce the competition and leave maybe up to five stems instead of 50 oh. and prune some of the lower branches. And effectively, you're releasing that stem to grow quickly and straight. And then from time to time we come back, there'll be new suckers that come out. We remove those suckers that we don't want. How long is that, the wait, for, for the suckers to come out? Oh, they'll, come, they'll start coming back within a week. Oh, but, that fast, okay. Yes, but um, there's a leeway there. You can prune them at your leisure over the next few months. The, the earlier the better because you're reducing unnecessary competition and focusing all the energy into the growth that you do want. So yeah. it's incredibly simple. That is incredible. Because you think about a st- tree stump, you know, um, it, it can be small, it can be big, but to think that 50 can grow on a small stump even, I mean, that's that's nature, isn't it? Y- yes, yes. And and you mentioned water. The, the thing is, with the mature tree stump, it has deep roots accessing moisture in the From soil profile. And so they can actually grow very, very rapidly. And we, we don't water them. There, there is actually no free water to, wow. to give them. Yeah, that's against, you know, what we've learned in school, (laughs) it seems. Well, this is one of the surprising things. When we see destroyed landscapes, we feel it's beyond redemption without massive investment and technology. Actually, nature is incredibly powerful to heal itself if we give it a chance. And much of what I do is about stop doing certain things rather than let's do something and and what i mean by that is can we alter the way we abuse fire uh cutting of woody biomass when it does come back we we shouldn't remove all of it uh plowing do we really have to plow every square inch and have a clean surface and um livestock how we manage the movement of our livestock so that they're not continuously trampling and browsing on this new growth if we manage those four things nature will do the rest how long did it take you to realize the importance of those four things but of course because you're an agronomist you would i think you would think about in in those directions 
Well, I, I guess I was already critically aware of that because we had been planting trees and failing for two and a half years. Right. And I, I knew what the constraints were. With the discovery of the tree stump thing, <laughs> my, my approach shifted. But prior okay. to that, it was a matter of having enough money, the right techniques, a miracle tree species that could withstand these harsh conditions. That completely shifted. If it was people's beliefs, false beliefs about the value of trees and destructive behavior, if that's what brought this landscape to its knees, where it was not functioning, was not providing for human needs, then that's where the real battle lay. And even though I mentioned I'm called the forest maker, even though yeah. people give me that moniker, 95% of what I do is regreening mindscapes. Uh-huh. And if I win that battle, turning in a sense, enemies of trees into friends of trees, the rest is easy. Nature will fill the gap. But that must have been a very, very tough job to convince people to do things opposite from what they were used to do. Yes, yes. I bet you got a lot of criticism. I bet you got a lot of people turned their backs on you. Um, I know that you tried, you know, to convince 10 farmers in the same number of villages um, to do what you you know, convinced to do that, you know, that's considered success. I bet there was a lot of people who were just like, ah, come on, Tony, what are you talking about? How do you cope with all that? I, I see that you grow up as a, someone who is not a, you know, giver upper. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I work very closely with those 10 uh, early, early volunteers. I said to them, let's treat this as an experiment because while I, I was fairly certain this would work and it would be beneficial, there's no that helps when you're so convinced. Yes, but you, you're not absolutely certain, and and you're not sure that they will be convinced. <laughs> so I said, let's work on this together. We'll learn together. Don't do it on your whole farm area, just a small corner. Right. And after one year, if you like it, we can go another year. If you don't, <laughs> heaven forbid, you can cut the trees down. They, they, it's your land. They're your trees. To learn more about the Farmer Managed Natural Regeneration Technique, tune in next week to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin.